The National Weather Service, part of the Commerce Department, has been acting on a reform initiative since 2017. It's trying to become more responsive to extreme weather events. And the Government Accountability Office has found it's mostly done a good job at using best practices for reform. With what else it needs to do, we turn to the GAO's Acting Director for Natural Resources and Environment Issues, Cardell Johnson. Mr. Johnson, good to have you on. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. And outline for us precisely what they're trying to do under this reform effort, automate their balloons, and what are they specifically trying to do here? Well, basically what they're trying to do, the whole vision is to make the United States a weather-ready nation where we are responsive and resilient to extreme weather events. So as you know, you know or, or a lot of the readers probably know, extreme weather events have really become increasingly frequent and more destructive and costly. And so I think in the last uh, about three decades, we've had you know 285 different extreme weather events, and we're talking like hurricanes and floods, tornadoes, and that's come to about 1.8 trillion in economic damage in 14,000 lives. So the weather service, what they do is they provide forecasts and they issue warnings to people during extreme weather events. And so they thought to help protect life and to protect property, they need to sort of evolve what they do to be able to make us prepare for these extreme weather events. And what form does some of that evolution take? Essentially, what they have determined is to reform its workforce and operations. They set up about 20 different reform efforts, and it's anything from investing in their people and their workforce, making sure that the workforce has the skills and resources to be able to do what it needs to do and partner with uh, local state emergency managers. But then also some of those reforms target you know, updating technology as well as different forecasting models that they use. Yeah, I was interested to find they issue 1.5 million forecasts and 50,000 warnings annually. So this is not just once a day, there's a new weather forecast. (laughs) And you found that they mostly did follow the best practices for agency reform? Yeah, absolutely. So we assess their management of their reform efforts. So we didn't really get into the technical quality aspect of each reform, but more so how they're managing it. And to do that, there are leading practices for effective reform that basically incorporates change management principles, because essentially what this is, is major change for the agency. And as you probably know, and your listeners know, change is just really hard and can be emotional in sort of moving how people react to it and sort of moving the organization from one state to another state. And you found that of the eight major best practices for reforming, they follow five of them fully, but the ones that they don't follow seem significant, and those are establishing goals and outcomes involving employees and key stakeholders and leadership focus and attention. And it seems like if those aren't followed, the rest of it may not happen. Well, what we say is they are partially following those. So each one of those leading practices have several different principles. So, for example, on leadership focus and attention, which is probably where they really need to focus their efforts, you know, that's about establishing a leader or a leadership team to oversee the reforms. It's also having a compelling, developing and articulating a compelling message for the reforms having an accountability system for the leader over the reforms, and having a dedicated implementation team. 
And so when we were assessing how well they did against this best practice, we noted that they did actually put a leadership team in place and they have articulated a compelling reason for these reforms. But what they have not done is have that dedicated implementation team, that capacity and continuity just to ensure that they can see these reforms through. We're speaking with Cardell Johnson. He's acting director for natural resources and environment issues at the GAO. And should that leadership and that oversight extend upward from the National Weather Service to NOAA, its immediate superior agency, and to the Commerce Department itself? Well, that wasn't actually the focus of our review. However, what would extend up to NOAA is issues, I think, related to staffing. So one of the things that this was not the particular focus of this review, but goes back to a review we did in 2017, some of the barriers to progress would be staffing. And we certainly heard those issues during the course of this 2021 review. And so hiring is done centrally at NOAA, not at you know the National Weather Service level. So that's where NOAA can get involved. All right. So there are some things they have to tighten up. What were your major recommendations? Well, so the major recommendations here is that they need to provide the leadership and staff continuity and capacity so that for the project management office that oversees the implementation of these reforms, just to ensure that they've got the resources, skills, and tools they need to see those reforms through. The other key recommendation that we're making here is that the National Weather Service has to develop a two-way communication strategy that will outline how it will listen and respond to employees' concerns. Because as I noted earlier, you know, this is really about change. These are major reforms that are taking place, and employees have concerns about those reforms and how they may be impacted. Yes, because some of the, again, technical reforms are new algorithms for weather forecasting and new equipment and so forth. So that would definitely affect how people work when this is eventually in place. Absolutely. And also the accuracy of some of the weather forecasting models. Some of the folks that we've met with said that they're concerned about that accuracy. And the good thing here is that the National Weather Service has rolled out a platform to forecasters to sort of provide that input about these models. And so they're actually working to tweak those to make them better. But the area where it seems that the National Weather Service really hasn't done the best job in terms of engaging is on the sort of cultural change piece of this. So there are a lot of employees, you know, they look at these reforms and they don't disagree with the overall sentiment of the reform, but I think, you know, we all know the devil's in the details. And so some of them see that these reforms could lead to office closure and job losses, and those issues need to be addressed. And did the agency leadership generally agree with the recommendations? They haven't acted on them yet, but did they agree with them? They did agree with the recommendations that we made, and and they're working on a a corrective action plan to implement them. And does this reform effort, does it have an end date when they can stand up and say, well, we are reformed? Well, they do not have that yet. So part of what has impeded some progress is COVID. So they've had to sort of take a step back and reassess. But they are also moving to a next phase of the reforms. And so right now, there's no end date. Got it. And we should note that this is called the Evolve Program. That's the Weather Service's name for what it is they're undertaking. Yes, absolutely. So we need to wait and see then. And uh, hopefully they, <laughs> if they can get back together in person more, maybe some of this will accelerate, do you think? 
perhaps, but we do know that they, you know, I think for a lot of agencies, probably that first six to eight months of the pandemic was really hard and, and people just adjusting to, to work life under extreme conditions. And so what at least our conversations with the National Weather Service, it does appear that folks are re-engaged in the discussions and they're really trying to move this forward. And I think I was very encouraged from what I heard in the the testimony before the House Space uh, Science and Technology Committee last week that I testified. So they're really working to try to bring these reforms home. Cardell Johnson is acting director for Natural Resources and Environment Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Anyone else have trouble sleeping last night and the night before that? Same. And I've tried everything, but it either doesn't help me sleep so I'm cranky and tired the next day, or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the DM. Make their mission your mission, because they will not rest until we all rest. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.